0: Today on Ag
1: News Daily. We have dedicated uh, the resources of our company to perfect that process.
0: Listeners, welcome to August. Jeepers, Jennifer almost said October. Welcome to August. Let's not jump too far ahead this fall. August 1st, 2023, Ag News Daily edition. Ready to rock and roll today?
2: Absolutely. First day of August and let's jump into it.
0: Yeah, we are still seeing some interesting weather. Majority of the Midwest will be quieter as far as that goes. Parts of Missouri, Illinois, and Indiana may see flooding threats. Central Missouri is currently under flood watch and some areas are facing flash flood warnings. We also see portions of western Kentucky... Facing uh, the hydraulic outlook alert, storms may develop as early as uh, today, this morning, but could continue with potentially heavier rain in another round as far as parts of southern Illinois and western Kentucky are considered all the way through Wednesday night. So we could see a lot of portions that are drier getting some rain. Unfortunately, it's probably going to come in the form of flooding. July was probably and will likely be the hottest month in over 120,000 years. Scientists are already calculating the hottest month on record, and likely this July that we just exited will be the one that is the warmest that humanity has ever experienced. So the United Nations World Meteorological Organization and the European Union's Curse copernicus jimony christmas climate change service announced that more than likely this will be 1.5 degrees celsius above the prely previous warmest month on history phoenix spent 31 straight days above 110 degrees and now we've got wildfires creeping into california Phoenix sizzled above that temperature for more than 31 days after uh, we just exited the end of July, but we will now keep an eye on where wildfires are headed. The historic heat in the lower southwestern United States went and started at the end of June and got through that, but now we will see where this fire goes. The York Fire that started Friday in the remote canyon of Caruthers is set up to create a huge plume of smoke that has so far already traveled 100 miles. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that. But ultimately, wet in the east, dry in the west. Jennifer?
2: Yeah, that's what it sounds like. But we're going to switch it up a little bit and have some good news for two companies to start August off giant food and impact technology company diver announced recently that they have together processed more than 30.8 million pounds of wasted food in the first year of collaboration mitigating nearly 1.4 thousand metric tons of greenhouse gas emissions last year Divert launched a wasted food recycling program with giant to reduce the amount of organic waste going to landfill Giant stores marked down repurpose or donated unsold edible food to local food banks whenever possible. For the food that cannot be repurposed or donated, Divert recycles it by processing the wasted food into renewable energy. We recognize our responsibility as a leader in the grocery space to make a positive impact on the environment and tackle waste reduction, said Diane Hicks, Senior Vice President of Operations at Giant Food. We're proud of the success of our collaboration with Divert thus far and look forward to continuing our work together and expanding our efforts toward a healthier planet, she continued. The collaboration has expanded to include all 165 stores under the giant banner across Maryland, Virginia, Delaware, and Washington, D.C., processing on average 500 pounds of wasted food each day per store. Wasted food is a major contributor to greenhouse gas emissions and can cost the average grocery store about $40,000 in lost profit daily, said Ryan Bagan, CEO and co-founder of Divert. Giant Food shares our commitment to tackling these issues through wasted food prevention and food donations that benefit our environment, communities, and ultimately, retailers' bottom lines. Giant and Diver intend to expand the partnership in the coming year to further increase diversion and donation efforts for Giant's division. Sander.
0: There you go. That is some good news here at the beginning of August. We got our uh, crop conditions and progress report. As of July 30th, 84% of the corn is silking. That's up from 68% the week before. 29% has reached dough stage, but more importantly, 2% increase. Up to 15% of the corn is rated poor to very poor. Corn rated good to excellent dropped 2%. So we see this shift there down to 55%. 83% of soybeans are blooming. That's up from 70% the week before. 50% of the US soybean crop is setting pods already. The USDA Gave a 15% rating for soybeans poor to very poor condition. That was up 1% from the previous week. Good to excellent soybeans declined by 2%. So we're seeing shifts in crop conditions there. Spring wheat, 97% of the wheat is headed and uh, just 2% of the spring wheat has been harvested. That's behind the five-year average. Winter wheat at 80% complete. Winter wheat harvest progress jumped up from 68% the previous week, but is still lagging behind the five-year average. So we'll continue to keep an eye on those reports, but certainly giving us a little indication there of some crop conditions starting to slide, Jennifer.
2: Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. And Now I'm going to be looking at the USDA looking to expand rural health care access as USDA Deputy Secretary Torres-Small announced $129 million in new rural health care grants. The grants will fund projects in 39 states and Puerto Rico. According to agency-provided statistics during those projects, they will help more than 5 million rural Americans. Torres-Small said that during one of the most critical times in our nation's history, the Biden-Harris admin responded to deliver immediate economic relief and ensure rural people have access to quality health care. USDA's Emergency Rural Health Care Grants are helping strengthen rural America's health care infrastructure to build for the future that she continued on. Grant funding will come through the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021, All 172 approved projects are intended to improve rural healthcare facilities and expand services. Torres Small made the announcement during an address to the University of Virginia. That university's nonprofit consortium to advance healthcare in Appalachia will use its grant money to expand healthcare and telemedicine in Wise County, Virginia. The organization will develop plans to address pandemic chronic illnesses and enhance long-term rural health care. It will also expand regional networks for resource sharing, education, training, and communications. It also continues on in this article to list all 39 states that will be impacted by this funding that I won't read at the moment, but if listeners are interested, they can check it out on the Farm Progress website.
0: Hey, there you go. Great. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, machinery Pete has given his machinery outlook, especially related to combines. Auction price data that he's been compiling for more than 34 years provides him all types of trends. He helps provide listeners, subscribers, and readers to, information on decisions to help buy, sell, and trade the best that they can. In the past, combine decision, combine searching has been difficult and decision making has not been any easier The availability was the issue. So if you needed it, he stated buyers would just go and get it. The supply side, though, is something that he's seen a little bit of a change. Recently, the supply of late model used large equipment, especially combines, has begun to rise from historic unprecedented lows. The data began to show a change in the fourth quarter of 2022 one to three-year-old combines, the supply was rising on dealer lots. The cash auction prices at the same time began to decline. He has seen this trend continue since the fourth quarter of December. Values have softened a little bit on the one to three-year-old combines. However, pre-def combines in good condition are seeing a surge in prices. So values for those combines that are 10 plus year old in good conditions are higher than they were a year ago. So you continue to watch as the times are ever changing. Machinery Pete is stating that late model inventory may be at a price to buy, if that's what you're looking for. If you're looking for pre-def machines, it comes back again to his, if you can find it, buy it, but you'll probably pay a premium. We also see that a majority of the renewable diesel consumption comes out of California. In the United States, 28 million barrels consumed in 2021, according to the Energy Information Administration, came and a majority of those were out of California and Oregon. California burning up to 99% of its consumption rate. The staggering diesel uptake could be due to the state's low carbon fuel standard, but they are looking to push for more states to adopt Renewable diesel, as far as those concerns are put in place. The U.S. consumption and capacity rates are projected to increase based upon the EIA's estimates, and we will see where those will point us
2: next. And jumping into my last article of the day, we're going to be talking about the USDA tracking a moth species that can destroy packaged foods. The Indian meal moth is normally found where you store your grains. This means that it can move through tiny openings in plastic or cardboard packages in your pantry to feast on cereal, pet food, flour, cornmeal, and other stored grains and dried fruit. It can also contaminate contents of larger food storage facilities and grain storage buildings. The moth is one of the top 12 moth species intercepted at U.S. ports and is closely related to many other highly destructive species that are not native to U.S. agriculture. The Indian meal moth or its larvae are commonly intercepted in commodities by other USDA agencies and sent to ARS Systemic Entomology Lab located at the Smithsonian's National Museum of Natural History for Identification. Once the lab receives the moth's larvae, ARS researchers compare the external diagnostic characteristics such as hair and general color so that it can be distinguished from other closely related non-invasive caterpillars. These diagnostic tools are then provided to other USDA personnel at U.S. ports to distinguish between species. Tropical climates are a popular habitat for the Indian meal moth but infestations have occurred across the globe, including Antarctica. Even though they are not known to bite or sting, its contamination of food products is detrimental to the U.S. agriculture and economy. Once the moth settles into grain, it has a temperature of at least 50 degrees. Eggs are laid directly on the food source. A mature female can lay up to 300 eggs at a time before larvae will begin to hatch within 14 days. The USDA recommends keeping flour, grains, and other pantry items in thick plastic or glass containers with airtight lids. Don't purchase packaged food that looks damaged. And if you suspect that you have an infestation, please contact a licensed pest control company to deter and eliminate the infestation, the USDA says.
0: there you go. Hopefully I don't find any of those in my pantry. Going to hit some quick updates. Russia continues to uh, control the portion of shelling in the area. Russian shelling kills a doctor in a medical facility in President Zelensky's hometown, Moscow's Building were, buildings were struck on Tuesday by a second drone attack in two days. They also stated that they thwarted a Ukrainian attack on two Black Sea vessels. Russia launched a deadly missile attack again on the hometown of President Zelensky. The White House is criticizing senior Russian officials for suggesting if rush if ukraine's successful counteroffensive happens that they may resort to nuclear weapons white house national security advisor jake sullivan is expected to attend upcoming peace talks in saudi arabia russia will not be participating but will monitor the negotiations as far as that goes markets today after a big sell off yesterday appear to make a little bit of a reversal on the soybean side soybeans November contract up seven and a half cents already this morning at 1339 and a quarter. Corn is hovering there right around no change. December 23's contract is only down a penny to 512 even. Wheat continues to see a little bit of a decline. The December contract for wheat is sitting 10 cents, 10 and a half cents down at six. 81 even as we jump over the livestock side of things we're green across the board although it might not be much life cattle october contract 179.92 up 40 cents the feeder cattle contract for september up five cents which would be 249.70 lean hogs also in the green to begin with october's contract 8605 so that's what we have for markets time to jump into our tech tuesday conversation exploring a little bit of biology technology that's coming out of mississippi Well, listeners my pleasure today to introduce you to andrew duff of groundwork bioag he's the general manager of north america and coming to us from mississippi today welcome to the podcast
1: Thanks, Tanner. It's an honor to be here with you. Big fan of the show and the work that you guys do. That
0: is awesome. First, before we get too deep into who Groundwork is, let's introduce yourself a little bit more, Andrew.
1: Sure. Um, As you mentioned, um, I'm the general manager for North America at Groundwork BioAg. I've worked in the ag industry my entire life. I grew up on a farm in Alligator, Mississippi, which is just a couple of miles from the Mississippi River in the uh, Mississippi Delta. Uh, I've worked for large companies like Monsanto and here recently for startups and other kind of mid-level companies in the ag supply chain and uh, just very passionate about agriculture in the U.S. and uh, fortunate to have worked with some great people and for some great companies and excited about the work that uh, is going on at Groundwork BioAg now as well.
0: So let's dive into that. What's Groundwork up to?
1: Yeah, so Groundwork BioAg was started uh, around 2016. Um, There is the Volcani Center in Israel, which is a uh, premier ag innovation center for the world, um, looking to address agricultural problems. And so uh, they began studying how to produce mycorrhiza fungi in high concentrations and at a really high quality, and with species that are, uh, you know, very impactful to our soils around the world. And so once that process was perfected, it's being commercialized now by my, uh, Groundwork Bioag, and it's exclusively uh, what we do, and we're constantly looking at formulations that are easy for the grower to use, that are effective. And right now we're undergoing a lot of uh, testing and validation just to um, get exposure into different markets whether it be the Western Corn Belt uh, and the drought conditions that they may be facing or uh, over to Ohio and the Eastern Corn Belt as well.
0: So, say that again. It was mycorrhizae. How'd you pronounce that?
1: Mycorrhiza. Yes. Yeah, so mycorrhiza. The, the first challenge I had uh, coming to work at Groundwork BioAg was learning how to spell <laughs> mycorrhiza and how to say fungi or fungi, depending on what your preference is. Um, but mycorrhiza, M Y C O R R H I Z A E. Mycorrhiza, And um, why is that it, important
0: to agriculture?
1: Yeah, we, we call mycorrhiza fungi the queen of biologicals. Uh, there's a lot of interest in biologicals, a lot of um, you know, companies that are bringing great products to the market. And there's particularly a lot of uh, companies focused on bacteria, beneficial bacteria-based products, uh, which are good. They're required for healthy soil environments. Um, But another critical component is the beneficial fungus. And so without that fungi, you're not able to optimize the activity of the bacteria and other living organisms in the soil. And so um, we have dedicated uh, the resources of our company to perfect that process. And so now we're able to offer to farmers in formulations that allow them to either put it in a hopper box at planting or as a liquid seed treatment or as a liquid in furrow with their starter fertilizer to make it easy for them. Uh, it, it goes out at very low uh, dosage rates as well. And so it's not a lot of material to have to carry around and, and to coordinate the application for. And we're seeing tremendous benefits when you improve the soil health. Uh, the quality of of the soil. Uh, There's an improved resilience to stress, whether it be drought or heat or um, other environmental conditions with pests. Um, So we're seeing great results and just continue to uh, explore the benefits and try to educate farmers on what those are for their specific farm.
0: Yeah, that's interesting that you're able to create a lot of different delivery methods of a fungi. So is this the exclusive fungi for Groundwork, or is Groundwork working with others?
1: Yeah, today it is the exclusive uh, fungi that we manufacture. That's our core business. That's what we're uh, really good at. Um, But we are looking at partnerships with other companies, whether it's a bacteria product or other ways to enhance the performance uh, in the soil. Um, Number one, you have to keep these organisms alive. Um, So the development is is critical that you maintain uh, basically the activity that you expect to see in the soil. And so we're constantly evaluating other partnerships with the filter of what's good for the farmer. Um, At the end of the day, it has to have an economic benefit to that grower. Um, We can talk about soil health and sustainability and all of these other um, buzzwords and phrases around the industry, but at the end of the day, the bottom line is economic return on the farm and the ability to uh, implement the application in the practice uh, without significantly, you know, creating another challenge in the operation.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. We've done a lot of interviews around uh, when you talk sustainable practices, and even those that are focused around the carbon market. But when you bring biologicals into the picture, is that something that'll help with all of those both topics?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the discussion around climate change in the global initiatives that have been agreed to uh, are very lofty goals and and they're they're great initiatives. Um, The challenge now is coming up with solutions that we we can now monitor and measure what the emissions are. And so how do we create tools that help us manage those uh, to lower levels And so we found out in in the industry in general, the ag industry, which is always innovating, always looking for new ways to, uh, you know, adopt technologies and be part of the larger, uh, global solutions that are needed. Um, you know, we realized that as we create better soil health and allow our crops to, uh, conduct better photosynthesis that we're also sequestering carbon back into the soil. And so that's a completely new uh, opportunity for farmers. In addition to growing a crop and selling corn, soybeans or cotton or rice uh, for primary revenue, there's an additional revenue stream that uh, is presenting itself in the form of carbon credits. And so we're um, actively and aggressively doing a lot of trial work, uh, proving out those um, parameters and those benefits of our product. We actually launched a carbon credit program in 2023, and we've got some great farmer partners that are working with us to um, really validate the results on farm. Uh, It's one thing to conduct them in a trial environment, and it's another thing to replicate that on a 2,000 to 5,000 acre farm. And so we're in the process of doing that and learning a lot of things together, and we'll be, um, you know, sharing with the rest of the farming community and the ag industry uh, what those results are this coming fall. That's exciting. And,
0: you know, out of the answer you gave you also mentioned how how quickly agriculture changes some may feel like it doesn't change much over time but truly it's an evolving it's an evolving network of technology what have been some of the challenges Groundwork has faced trying to build a new company in this space
1: well I think it's just being able to you know maintain integrity of the message and of the data and the performance of your product uh, there's, there's a lot of um, products in the marketplace, and there's been some confusion a little bit created around biostimulants. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of companies are eager to offer a solution in this space, and that's good because it has attracted a lot of outside investment into the ag industry, which is a good thing. Um, but, you know, there are no shortcuts. So with with any product in launching it, uh, there's a process that you have to go through. And so I feel Groundwork BioAg is very connected from the boardroom to the turn row. And we're engaged with farmers about how our program or how our products fit into their operation. And we're refining that immediately based on the farmer's feedback. And so, you know, we're we're lean. We're able to make decisions quickly, and you know that's exciting. Um, so while we we have challenges, uh, we have great partners in the form of farmers and, and other industry uh, experts. So you know, we we like to be transparent with our partners, whether it's the grower or someone else. In that, uh, we'll we'll tell you what we know. And what we don't, uh, we will seek to find out the answers together.
0: That's great that there is a continuity from those that maybe fund or make decisions as to those that it affects, getting all the way to information coming from the producers. What are you hearing out of the field this year? What are farmers facing?
1: Yeah, so it's um, every year is different, and we often plan for the coming season to be like the last season, and that's just hardly ever the case. Um, When I worked in in retail, uh, you can plan for inputs to put on the shelf based on the prior year, and something's inevitably going to change for the coming year. Um, But what's really encouraging in my conversations with growers, whether it's in Kansas, where they've received more rainfall this year than they have in the past couple of years, the the attitudes and outlook are, are very positive. Um, or whether you know you're in the mid south and it's rained every three days, um, you know each each year presents a different challenge, whether it's drought or excessive moisture, and you know that all adds stress to the crop. So anything you can do to benefit, um, you know, kind of its resilience and response to those stresses is going to help the grower, um, you know, kind of protect that investment out in the field. Um, but growers are very interested in soil health right now. Um, you know, we have biotech traits which were launched in the late 90s that have been a big focus over the past 25, 30 years of, of the industry, um, those traits are well adopted, the benefits are known, the industry kind of has that uh, under its belt. And so things are shifting now to more of soil health and what can I do to really um, improve things underground. Um, And it really is resonating with a lot of large farmers that are landowners as well. Um, and then that will carry into you know, lease acres and anyone that owns farm ground is very interested in the quality of the soil long term. One farmer I was visiting with, uh, a father and a son, uh, were talking about just the benefits and how they look at soil health. And the son actually stated that dirt is my inheritance. And if you let that sink in a little bit, um, you know that's the mentality that we're seeing uh, very common across the industry. Is, is farmers have a, a stewardship mentality and are looking at this of how they can improve soil health and water quality and all these other other things that go along with um, you know how we manage our farmland. Um, and so you know once they see an economic benefit from being better stewards of the land or adopting a new practice, then that just is a win-win for, for all.
0: Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. And this has been a good interview for us to expose our listeners to what's happening on the forefront of the future of agriculture. If they want to follow in with you or follow along with groundwork, what's the best way for them to stay in contact
1: yeah, I'll uh, share my email address. We have our website that they can go to at groundworkbioag.com. Uh, my email address is D is in delta, at groundworkbioag.com. Um, either way, we'll be happy to, to talk with anyone that's interested in learning more about Rutella, um, which is our brand of mycorrhizal fungi, and we are interested in Developing new partnerships all across the U.S. in all kinds of markets, uh, whether it's corn, soybeans, cotton, rice, uh, sugarcane, alfalfa. So we'd love to hear from your listeners and develop a relationship and figure out how to work with them uh, on a one-on-one basis.
0: Well, that's great. Thank you for taking some time out of your day to share this information, Andrew.
1: Thank you, Tanner, and uh, best of luck to all of your listeners out there, and again, thank you for the work that you guys do today.
0: Well, there you go. I had to clarify exactly what that fungi was. Obviously, my banker knowledge doesn't go that deep into chemistry and agronomy, but uh, always a great conversation to share on Tech Tuesday, Jennifer.
2: Yeah, you do a great job with these Tech Tuesday episodes. You may be a banker, but you tend to get some really great information about everyone with all of their technology needs.
0: Well, thank you. But uh, listeners, that's not the only interviews we do all week. So come back again tomorrow. But for today, what do you say? Should we let the listeners go?
2: Let's let them go.